welcome to Thanks for the Feedback SeaTac Podcast. I am Nicole Huff. And I'm Sylvia Ellison. And we are here for our episode on the identity triggers, chapters 7, 8, and 9. So, um, spoiler alert. So, as we were both reading these chapters, we discovered that um, these were difficult chapters to read because they required a lot of personal reflection and uh, crises of moments, I think, Mm -hmm. in my mind. I felt, um, I didn't feel beaten up, interesting Mm. enough, but I did feel as though I had to take a careful, accurate look at myself. Mm -hmm. I think you described it as it pulled out the windows and mirrors. Mm -hmm. I Um, had to confront myself. Yes. Especially with the exercises the authors ask you to do in this section. Think about this time. Do this. And every time I did, I wasn't always happy with the result of my head that I came up with. Yeah, I mean, as I was reading this, I was thinking... um, it was almost like blessings and curses out of the mouth at the same time. You're like, why did Sabrina choose this book? Oh my gosh, she chose it for me. Um, there's so much I need to learn here, right? And I think up until this point, it's been all about the light, fluffy stuff, right? But this one really gets down into the nitty gritty of why do we have trouble receiving feedback? And it's the story of me. Yeah, the others were all about other people. And how to be the bigger person, which makes you feel good. And this one is about how sometimes you are the problem. Um, and it's almost a trigger warning. Yes. And I'm thinking mine, mine wasn't sometimes. I felt like after reading this, I'm thinking, man, I need a lot of self-growth. Like, Me it too. Was, it really hit. And so um, we say that not to give you it be Debbie Downers. Mm-mm. Because it's not even about that. I really, like I said, I didn't feel beat up. I just mm. felt, as I'm going through it, I saw a lot of issues that I personally have. And then at the end, I thought, oh, I can do that. Oh, I can do that. Oh, okay, do that. But it still was hard. It's difficult reading through this. Absolutely. And at first, when I'm reading all about the wiring and the way that it works, I didn't Just like the author said, it's innately how you're born and there's not much you can do to change it aside from sort of the meditation and that sort of practice. But then as I'm confronting myself and not always liking it, I wanted to discuss the fact that they talk about the magic 40 um, and talk about what you can change. So we're going to get into that some today. Right. Uh, We're going to use Havrutha for these three chapters. And we really just have one question from the text. And we're going to take three chapters to discuss it and answer it because this section about us, it all went together. The first chapter brought up the question. The second and third chapters helped us answer it. This is about how we're confronting something ugly about ourselves. So I guess our big question here is, how do we solve the identity crisis that's associated with feedback? And I, and I think that's what we have to come to grips with as we discuss these three chapters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the first case is just admitting, admitting that there is one. And I really liked how they talk about that um, we have a story of ourselves. And I've heard that before in this book, mm-hmm. um, that there's a story that we're, all the he- we're the hero of our own story. Mm-hmm. And they kind of revisit that 
lucky ear in this piece and it's got that soft opening it does that says oh how wonderful we are etc and then it kind of gives into it and like you said the there's lots of possibilities lots of responses um, and they kind of nicely walk us through it systematically they walk us through the things we can't change and i think that's a misnomer right <clears throat> into the things that ultimately we can do that uh, to help us receive feedback graciously how we can forgive ourselves how we can just be honest mm-hmm. with what was going through So, right at the very beginning, on page 146, it says that feedback can be threatening because it prompts questions about the most challenging relationship you have, your relationship with yourself. Are you a good person? Do you deserve your own respect? Can you live with yourself? Forgive yourself. And as it goes through the chapters, it talks about how certain people hear things differently based on their wiring and dwell on different parts of feedback. And we don't always know ourselves as well as we think, and we don't always know how we react to things. Mm. So Sylvia, you were talking about how we can find a way towards a more honest version of ourselves in our story, this story, how do we not rewrite it, but Mm. how do we kind of, edit it and use those around us to make a draft of the story of ourselves that is more honest right and there's so much value to that question and and that we've kind of posed and i think the best way to answer is just to go through the steps kind of what they've done so highlighting just the big things i do believe that i love the quote that you brought at the beginning i i believe that i connected it to another text that says love your neighbor as yourself and mm-hmm. the stories about that is it what it what do you do when somebody does not love themselves you know and i that's why i love their questions um can you live with yourself can you forgive yourself mm-hmm. and so as we're starting this podcast i want you to know that there's many times in here where i had to actually forgive myself for having reacted or responded inappropriately or in the wrong way when i haven't received feedback um, I guess my philosophy these days, the older I get, is the more I recognize by looking back, I've had many opportunities to pass the same test, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's why I was really happy about how this thing ended, because it reminded me of the ways that I can treat myself mm-hmm. so that I can help others through the same process. Um, I think that as I was reading it, uh, the first thing that really hooked me was this idea that we react to feedback in three, I don't know if there's three ways, mm-hmm. but there's three pieces to it. There's the baseline, the swing, and the sustain or recovery. And so I thought it was really interesting to think about those pieces of feedback because, and I think I've said it before, uh, Amy Ballins described it as a grief cycle. Mm-hmm. And so we have to know where our baseline is and how far the swing goes and all that, right? And so in this one, I thought our baseline is kind of like an emotional bank account. And how and, and our identity is caught up in that, right? Mm-hmm. And so this, to me, was a nice segue from the relationships to myself, right? If I have an emotional bank account that's filled, when you give me feedback... It's going to be easier. It's easy to take because there's enough in there that I can take the hit and it doesn't impact my balance, right? So I think that part of the identity trigger for me is that when people have made a positive deposit... I can take hits from them. 
And I say that lovingly. It's like that word ding. I hate it. Mm-hmm. But it's but it's those I could take that feedback. A couple of weeks ago I took a hit. I own it, right? That I had not done a piece of my job that I needed to do. Mm-hmm. And the and I felt not that the person giving me the feedback, which was my boss, I didn't feel like she was in the wrong. I owned that I was in the wrong. Mm-hmm. And it was easier to take from her because my emotional bank account with her is full. Yes. I know where I stand. I know that she says things to me like that only because she trusts me mm-hmm. and respects me and knows that I want to do a better job. In fact, yesterday I found a post-it note on my desk at work that said, my principal loves me. And once again, that's just emotional bank account. She's Mm -hmm. feeding my baseline so that when feedback comes, I can can handle it. And I think that's what identity triggers are all about. It's what do I have in my own life that can help me have those moments whenever I need to hear that you you failed here. Mm -hmm. Let's pick out the pieces. Yes. And the the baseline, the swing, and the sustain, what hits me there is that two different people receiving the same piece of feedback mm. may have very different reactions. So as PLFs, we don't always know what the emotional bank account mm. is and where the person sitting in front of us sits on their baseline and how sensitive they're going to be to negative or positive feedback. So as we give feedback we need to watch because the people in front of us haven't read this book they don't all necessarily know all of these things and haven't looked at themselves this critically Mm. so we're going to have to be on the watch for this and what I could say to you reading your work may be very different than what I could say to someone who I don't have a relationship with right and I need to be aware of that and look at their reactions if the person does take a negative swing, if the if the person does get like Tommy in the story, you know, who gets jittery and, and red-faced and thinks about canceling his trip because his boss made a joke, I might need to hit a pause button and help that person make the little T-chart of what this feedback said and didn't say and use some of the tools in here that right. I could use with myself to help others as well. Yeah, and I think you make a valid point there. <clears throat> We're looking at the relationship aspect as um, as PLF facilitators, but this chapter talks about the identity piece. And we can't control how that person feels about themselves Mm-mm. or what that person thinks about themselves. But I think there's some things we can do to help that. My son plays golf, and golf is, even though there's a skill to it, it's a mind game. Oh, yeah. Every hole... You'll see it in the professional world as well as the amateur world that if a person bunks a hole really bad, if they're not in control of their mental game, they flush the whole rest of the the holes, the the match down the tubes. Um, my son did that. Real, my son was really bad about that, and so I am um, actually, you know, you can't cough, you can't coach them um, when they're golfing. But I could have things in his pocket that could coach himself. So I found lots of quotes about from golfers about their mind game. You know, like, every mm-hmm. hole is a fresh start. And, and I made him put them in his pocket. And so every time he had a, a bad swing, pull this out. Because I wanted his recovery time 
yeah. to be shorter so that he could get to the next hole. So I think that there's a lot of times that we get stuck and we don't know how to get out of this mode. And I think our job as uh, facilitators is to figure out ways to unparalyze our candidates or others. We've got to get away from the paralysis of perfection so that they can feel and think that, and, and maybe even label what is judgment, what is feedback, and what is coaching, right? And, and, so, and some of those are overlined. You know, I may have the wrong words here, but I think for identity triggers, we don't know what their trigger is going to be. We don't know how they're going to mm-hmm. receive that, but we've got to figure out a way to push them past it right. in that short amount of time that you work with them. And as we start to talk about the things in the chapters that help us with this, I alluded earlier to the magic 40, and that's on page 158. It says, research suggests a 50-40-10 formula for happiness. About 50% of our happiness is wired in. Another 40% can be attributed to how we interpret and respond to what happened to us. And 10% is driven by our circumstances, where we live and with whom, where we work and with whom, the state of our health and so forth. First of all, the fact that it's only 10% from our circumstances is amazing to me. That says Mm -hmm. that the mind is very powerful. Mm -hmm. That 50% is already wired in says that we've got a lot to overcome if you are somebody who has a tendency to be lower to start with. But that 40% is huge. And so when you're talking about putting quotes in your son's pocket, that's a way to help him with that 40, how do I react? It's not what happens, it's how I react to what happens. And you mentioned, Sylvia, when we were talking earlier, that it is input, not an imprint. It says that in here too. Um, Oh, I don't remember that word, but that was such a powerful moment when it said that the feedback that we receive is just something that comes into us that we get to process it's not something that changes our identity. Mm-hmm. And we've got to remember that, that no matter what somebody tells us, we are still who we are. They can't change the 50%. No. Right? But they can help us uh, make that 40% better. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we've got to come to. Um, these chapters run so through together. I mean, they just there's just so much in here. Um, as we jump around, I think that we're going to be able to answer our question of how do we how do we control the responses and reactions that we get, we have when we are coming to that feedback crisis, right? Mm -hmm. One of the things that I think that they really liked or that they really, that they said here to end up everything is that the idea of giving yourself a second score, um, it's at the end of the chapter, end of chapter Nine. nine on page 202. And I think that one really hit me because they're, go back to that initial story with my boss I failed at that first, it was a data analysis piece. I failed at at making sure that we had all the data that we needed. And I failed at letting her know that whether or not we collected all of it. Hmm. On that score, yes, the feedback was accurate. It hurt. It made me feel like a failure. And I felt like I should just be fired from my job right now. (laughs) But I give myself a second score because... As a result of that failure, I now knew a better way of work. So we did the same process with a different set of data. And I'm happy to say that my score is I succeeded this time. 
every data, every student that wrote, mm-hmm. their data is already in the computer and it's only been a week and a half, right? And so a month versus 10 days, mm-hmm. I improved. And I would not have done that had I not had that feedback. And even at the, the feedback the first time that was negative... It was negative, and you can own it, but it didn't mean you should be fired. I know exactly. Of course not. <laughs> but there's you know, so much else that's positive, right? But the identity trigger that right. was right there. You know, like in that moment, I felt like fire me. Like I don't deserve this position, mm-hmm. and it hurt. Um, it's the story I, in here about yes. the sisters. Well, why are you listening to mom anyway? You're an adult. She just says those things. This happens to have been valid feedback, but the other person is going to say to you, "Well, of course you're not going to be fired," right? Well, and, and she did come back and say that when I right. when I say because I'm honest and I just blah, 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 about it. Um, mm-hmm. But I do have people around me that say, you know, Sylvia, okay, yes, let's learn from that. But look at this, you did well. Look at this, you're doing well. Look, look at this. Mm-hmm. But isn't that the case with all of our identity triggers? That the negative pieces seem so vast, and the positive ones seem so minimal. And in reality, if and and. I'm not a numbers person, but I could be, right? If I looked at the numbers about the time that things are positive compared to the negative, I would see I'd have to have a better Mm self-identity about my role Mm -hmm. compared to others. And I guess that's where this question hit me is, how do we control those reactions when, as humans, the way we're wired is that we always see the negative first and we see the positive. And we exaggerate feedback as opposed to looking at it. Oh, page 174. There we go. Yes. It's, the chart is on 174 where they talked about right-sizedness. Ugh, and yes. that if you draw out the feedback because... The amygdala is that fight or flight, and it's responding, and it's finding the threat, but we don't have that green light system to tell us as well. Right. And so we see the the bad so much more clearly. When she draws out her feedback, Alita realizes she's only got, like, the one negative comment in all of these smiles. Right. And that's the same thing that you're describing. Mm-hmm. And I have the same with the identity feedback as well, and when it hits you more difficultly. We had an issue, a supervision issue, with at lunches in the media center. Uh, there were some students who were angry with each other, and they were in the library, and we asked them to leave. But in order to be open access, we had the doors propped open. So after they left, when things settled down, and I started to circulate again and go to other parts of the library, they came back in. And there are lots of people here, and I'm on the other side, and they got into a fight. So as I was debriefing that with my principal, and we're discussing what happened and when and where, she very accurately says, so there was no supervision in this front corner. Ooh. Wow. Which is true. I was helping a student... In the opposite corner of the library. Yeah. Because I had circulated. And for those of you who don't know, um, our library is set up in like four big quadrants. Right. So I was by the literal front door. They were by the literal back door. Right. Yeah. That's. And there's accurate feedback. And my identity gets triggered because, but I do supervise kids and I provide a safe space. And that's what the library is. It's a good, safe place for everyone. And, and. And everyone is welcome. And 
well, but students took advantage of that Correct. because they're high schoolers and it's what they do. And they, and the first reaction is, well, how do I tell her that? No, of course I was supervising everyone in here, and it was. But the reality is that I wasn't because there were kids who fought, and there were lots of kids in here, and I had circulated, and I wasn't in a. And after thinking this through, okay, so we need a better system. Yes, it is open access, but we also need to make sure everybody's safe. These are high school students, and sometimes they have issues with each other. And we cannot just prop the door open and expect that if we asked them to leave, and they do, that they won't just come right back in. Mm -hmm. There has to be some sort of security protocol. So, all right, let's not prop the doors open. Let's have the other one unlocked, or let's use a pass system. And there were places to think through that once I could accept the feedback and not just go, well, it couldn't have been that I wasn't. Well, and imagine this. I mean, I remember the situation clearly, and I thought, not knowing everything that I know now, mm-hmm. you responded very quickly with a new system. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it, it took just a couple of, a couple of days to mm-hmm. get all of the facets rolled out, as opposed to a couple of weeks. And I didn't know there was an identity crisis in there because <laughs> there was. You responded very quickly, um, and I'd say in that case, your second score would be really high. Because now, once again, you have a safe place with the amount of students that you can Watch. safely supervise in, a, in this vast space. So. And I really want to thank this book and this podcast and you because the truth is that I didn't want to look at any of that and how it would happen. But then I thought about being the bigger person and taking the ownership and looking at what I could do and how we change things. And... And so what I did was the first day we were closed, I took a clipboard and I went and talked to every single one of our APs and said, we need new procedures. What would you recommend? How do we keep kids safe? Oh, nice. And solicited the feedback and looked at all of it in order to make the new procedures and make this make sense. Yeah. And I don't think I would have done that if I wasn't reading this book. And I think that what that says is um, that you... Uh, that your ability to accept the feedback has actually created that true safe space that you wanted. Because I think that in response to that situation, I think a lot of kids may not have come back because they felt unsafe. But even the ones who were, who were um, affected by it Mm -hmm. are coming back because they know that you cared more about them than you did about your own feelings, yes. right? And I think that's what helped that situation. Um, your second score would be very high. I'm <laughs> Thank just you. So would yours. <laughs> well, and I and I think I, I agree with you. I'm like I said at the beginning of this podcast: blessings and curses. Right mm-hmm. in the moment, I'm going, ah, oh, this is not fair. You know, I have to do all this change. But in the end, it is. It's more about what people think about me. It's more about who, what I think about myself. Yes. Right, because I want to love others or treat others as I treat myself, which means if I'm going to love and respond positively to others, I have to love and respond positively to myself. I know I am my own worst critic. That's how we're wired. But I love the fact that in this book, it says that we can change that 40%, right? Mm-hmm. We can change how we look at things. And I love the fact that they break it down into pieces that are that are palatable, mm-hmm. that um, that are steps that are not emotional or subjective, but they're very objective. Mm-hmm. So um, when we look at the solutions, 
that growth mindset is key. Yeah. And we keep telling our students that growth versus fixed. It's not that I can't do it, it's I can't do it yet. Right. Right. And so I think it all starts with that perspective that you have to own this is who I am, but I can change. And what can I change? Which answers our question, right? If we've yes. the question. And I must say, as we're talking about this, it's not that I can't can't do it. It's that I can't do it yet. And growth mindset. I have a connection to another text of sorts, um, a video text. You know, I, I have a young child who watches Sesame Street. They have all of these songs that they always sing, and one of them is "The Power of Yet." Oh yeah, and it is teaching little kids from the moment that. It doesn't matter that you can't throw and catch the ball right now. It's that you can't do it yet. And somebody is adding the word yet to the end of a whole bunch of things that these little kids can't do. And then they try and try and try again and eventually they succeed. So that we are teaching children that young the power of yet. And it's a catchy little song. It makes me want to play it for all my high school students because I think it would get caught in their head. And it impacts me too. I sing the Sesame Street songs. Oh my God, I love Sesame Street. Right. I remember substituting the value of longevity is that it's still around and that that only Uh comes about with something that's effective, right? Right. Um, The latest, for me, when it talks about our self story, um, over the past few years, I've been trying to change my self story. So uh, probably about eight, nine years ago, we went through a family crisis where my son was accused falsely of something. But that caused us to pull in the wagons, right? To circle the wagons and protect our family. So I came across this book called My One Word. And it's been mm. kind of revamped and rewritten for um, for the world by John Gordon. And um, so at that point, I, I talked about my word, word being peace. Because I just wanted, in the midst of this crisis, I wanted peace. Well, through the years, I've just adapted a new one word. And a couple mm-hmm. years ago, I went through another self-crisis of identity and I was trying to find my one word I think this was like 2017 maybe Mm -hmm. 2016 and my one word for that year was enough not that I put up with enough right because that's Mm -hmm. easy way to say I just quit it's enough is enough enough but it was more about I am enough oh as a daughter I am enough that my parents love me unconditionally as a mother, I'm enough. I provide for my students or my children. As a teacher, I'm enough that my students have a good teacher, that mm-hmm. I am sufficient for them. Um, because as a perfectionist, mm-hmm. even though I never claim that I am, apparently I think I am, right? Because I think we all are. Especially when we compare ourselves to Pinterest and yes. other social media oh platforms. Yes, because we only see the best of their stories, and so we think mm-hmm. that nobody ever goes through a crisis. But I go back to my one word was a way for me to establish a foundation mm-hmm. every year. So this year, my word for 2019 has been one, the number one. Not that I want to be number one the best, but I want to be the one that makes a difference. I want to be the one that puts a smile on somebody else's face. It made a difference to that one, the starfish story. Yes, the starfish story. story. I want to be the one that that can do something. Is there something I can do? I can do one thing. What is the one thing I can do? Um, I kind of got it from the idea of um, balance like a pirate mm-hmm. when in the webinar from C-Tech Ed. If you're interested, go ask for that one. Um, but he talks about that doing one thing starts a momentum. So if there's one thing I can do, that leads to other things. And so 
Um, I think that when it came to identity and what are some things we can do, mm-hmm. the second score was huge for me. Uh, it's not in here about my one word, but to me, my one word is a way that I can help focus my attention on things. It helps with your baseline mm-hmm. and where it talks about changing things with meditation right. and that this is your focusing of your mind and ways to do that. Mm-hmm. As we talk about those strategies, I also turned down the page on 168, inoculate yourself against the worst, mm. where they talked about pretend that it's a no and then see what happens. And he and the authors say, it sounds like advice to be pessimistic, but it's actually the opposite. It's a reminder that whatever the outcome, you'll be able to manage. And mm-hmm. if you've got this self-starter idea for a business, talk to the guy who struggled for years and figure out what else he did and how he made it work and could keep going. And so okay, I had I had the worst happen. There was a fight here and someone got hurt in a library. Right. When does that happen? Right. So where do we go from here and what are the steps? And, right. you know, so how do we recover from it? Well, if you can imagine it, then you can make it happen. So I, you know, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, you could have never imagined having um, that kind of violence in a media center or a library. And so how do you inoculate yourself against that worst is now that you've got that system and plan mm-hmm. that would help and that helps so that your kids who desperately want to be here have a way in, mm-hmm. right? But everybody who's in here feels safe again. Right? Yes. Um, one thing about the, the part that you pointed out on this inoculation piece is um, I noticed that in mind that he said first act as inoculation, so imagine it. And then second, think of a balanced and unhurried way that the news spreads or whatever, how it gets out there. In my thing, I wrote that, one, when bad things happen or bad feedback comes my way, I have to remind myself that this too shall pass. Yes. I loved it. There's another piece that I said that this is just a moment. It's not the end of the world. Mm-hmm. It's not everything in my life that's happened up until now. It's just a moment. And it will pass. And the other t- thing I, I thought with this, and this one, especially in your case, is that in times of peace, I make my decision so that when I'm in the midst of the storm, I know how I'm going to respond. Oh, that's very And well so I said. think in, in, in our lives, as I'm going through as a candidate for national board, I think that um, I need to now decide how I'm going to respond when I get feedback that's not going to be, not going to feel good. So that when I do receive it, mm-hmm. you have a plan and you I don't know how swing wildly and you don't right. get lost in it in, and not really know what was said and not be able to make meaningful change. Right. There's so much in here. Oh, my goodness. Um, I feel like we're just all over the place, but important information. So um, I liked in 189, we will make mistakes. Mm-hmm. How, and, how simple. I mean, I wish I'd written the book because, yes. Right. It's almost like we know that that's true, but we never want to admit it. Um, I think I heard a podcast the other day or a, a statement. And it was on the radio. And it said the um, they interviewed or surveyed thousands of teenagers. And um, they said, what are the words that you rarely or never hear your parents say? And everybody thought it was going to be, I love you. Mm-hmm. Because that's and they said, well, it was kind of it was kind of up there on the list of things they don't hear people say. But the number one words that um, a child never hears their parents say is "I'm sorry," huh. and I was like, well, "Wow!" And it's funny because I t- I talk to my children all the time about how hard is it to say "I'm sorry," 
Well, apparently it's very hard. And I love to hear, you will make a mistake. Everyone does it, own it. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. I made a mistake. Mm-hmm. It goes back to, it's just that moment. Um, but I think that's why it's an identity crisis. It's because if we may admit we made a mistake, then I see myself as a failure instead of this is a moment when I didn't do what I should have done or what I wanted to do. Right. Right. And, um, and then the next one, we have complex intentions. I can make a mistake, but it was never my intention to make a mistake. Yeah. I'm trying to get my daughter to understand that, that her intentions might be noble. Mm-hmm. They're definitely pure. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean we're perfect. We do make mistakes, right? And then the second, the last thing, which is something <laughs> I always say to my students all the time, you have contributed to the problem. I tell my students all the time when they're in conflict with somebody else, admit apologize for the peace that you can. Sure. Well, that teacher was disrespecting me. Okay. But what can you admit to? What can you do? I shouldn't have responded the way I did. Perfect. Yeah. So... Even if you did nothing wrong to the beginning and the teacher responded inappropriately to you or disrespectfully or whatever or named the wrong kid, you reacted inappropriately. So, miss, I'm sorry that I responded the way I should. I should not have been as disrespectful with you, period. Now, my hope is always that the teacher will go, you know, you're right. I should not have called you out like that. Mm -hmm. If our parents are having trouble saying I'm sorry to kids, I bet our teachers are having the same as well this one hit me as a parent too there's a little graphic that i've seen multiple places now um that says something to the effect of little people are dealing with strong emotions too it is our job not to not to ramp them up but rather to share share our calm And I think about that, that when Sasha does something wrong and then like repeatedly, I ask her a question and she won't answer and I have to ask her again and then she gets an attitude about answering and (laughs) and then I respond back. I see how that escalates. And it's true that she's pushing my buttons and it's true that she's doing something wrong. But if I keep escalating, she keeps escalating. Mm. I have contributed to the problem. I need to do what I'm telling her she should do, which is to stop, to take a breath, to count back from five, to say I'm frustrated, Mm -hmm. and then to deal with something, ask for help, whatever it is. Even I'm frustrated with the choices you're making right now. Can you help me and we'll both make better choices? I need to own what I'm doing in this problem. Yes. And I loved those that you pointed out. I also loved slightly earlier um, on 179, the have compassion for them. And I think that goes back to what you said initially with our question and answer. How do we write a more honest story and how do we confront the truth about ourselves by loving our total selves and loving my neighbor as you love yourself? Have compassion for them. Even if you've got a crotchety old man in front of you with an opinion about you that you don't even really want to hear, give them a hug. Mm. You know, look at what they may ha- that person may have gone through. Yeah, this is where the, the line was, their views are input, not imprint. Yes. Right? I think that our, um, our teachers, our students, our parents can all learn from, from us if we model that empathy. Mm-hmm. That um, when a kid comes into my room and they're throwing things around... It's interesting, if they enter my room that way, I know that it's not me. 
mm-hmm. right? But when it happens in the middle of it, um, I forget that some kids are slow to anger, right? Mm-hmm. And so they could be sitting there stewing seething. and seething, yeah, stewing about that, and all of a sudden it erupts in the middle of my class. And so I remind myself that when a kid responds, and I'll be honest with you, as a teacher, it's so much easier than as a parent, by the way. But as a teacher, <laughs> whenever a kid re- reacts like that, like that, that explosive reaction, I have conditioned myself to sit down. Hmm. Just to sit. And it's almost like taking a step back and put and taking off the the aggression. Because when you sit down you become you put yourself in a defenseless position, right? And so um I think that for me that's the sign of empathy or compassion is I'm more curious about why this has happened. And then what I always tell my students is, did I do something? Because if I did something, I want to own it. Tell me. And when I do figure out that I did it, um, I always ask the kid, do you want me to apologize publicly? Mm-hmm. Because I offended you publicly. And they're, they're always like, no, no, no. And part of me is like, oh, thank God. Right? Because <laughs> who, who likes to do that? Because it's hard to say I'm sorry. Exactly. Um, but being willing to do that really changes how people respond or react to your situation. Once again, we're jumping all over the place. I loved on page 192 that in that situation, um, I think that we, every situation I go through with students or with my children, he talks about the growth mindset being a learning room or a testing room. Hmm. And if it's a testing room, I can pass or fail. But if it's a learning room, I've got places where I can go, oh, I learned from that or ooh, I didn't learn from that. And so I think that I, I love the idea about feedback coming to us as, is this a test that I have to pass or is this a moment I can learn from? Which is that sort towards coaching yes. as we look at the steps. You know, there's a, a chart on page 196 with some identity questions and the fixed versus growth mindset. And that as we move towards a growth identity and this, the power of yet, that there are three steps that we can take. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where we want to come back to and finish in this chapter in this question is how do we make this honest rewrite and how do we deal with ourselves? We look at feedback for what it is, not what it isn't. We try to look honestly at ourselves with our honest and supportive mirrors. And then we have these practices, sort towards coaching, Unpack the judgment from the evaluation and give yourself a second score, which you've already talked about. I think that that first one is really cool, the sort toward coaching. Um, What I loved about that one is that we get feedback from everywhere. We know that. We've covered that the first six chapters. Mm -hmm. So what happens when we get the feedback that we don't like? And I love what they said here is that um, sometimes we need to hear coaching feedback as coaching. We need to not put on top of it anything that's not intended. But what if we don't know if the feedback that we're getting is for coaching or evaluation? And I love the kind of little anecdotals that they give here that, well, if it's for evaluation, then this is going to be the outcome, and I don't like that outcome. So in my mind, I've got to, I could go through that process of saying, well, if this is evaluation, I don't like that. But what if I read it as coaching? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that means their intentions are actually pure and noble, or their intentions are good at least. They're trying to help me get a better second score. Right, mm-hmm. exactly. Or I get the chance to get a better score or a second score, right? So as an identity, 
it's now my responsibility or my onus to tag it the right way. And it doesn't matter. My boss was probably totally evaluative when she told me that I had not done my job, that I had failed her, right? And I could have taken it that way. And I think part of me did. That was an evaluation of my job. My second score is when I sorted it and I said, what can I do now to make this situation better and learn so that next time it's not the same? So I think the outcome, Mm -hmm. I gave myself a second score, but I think that came as a result of me saying, I disappointed her. I let her down. I'm not good with that ending. I need to create a new ending. Mm -hmm. And so my new ending was, what can I learn from that? And so I did, and I went back and I did A, B, C, D, E. And then this time when it rolled around, I did more front-loading and back-loading. Like you, I went around got feedback from other people who'd been in the situation. What should I do? What do I need to do? Oh, I don't want to do that. It's not my character, but I'm going to have to do it. And as a result of that, um, it's almost like my boss came back to me and said, Wow, that's amazing that you you were able to do all that. Um, So I think that when I was able to sort it and put it in the right places, Mm -hmm. I was able to use it. I was also able to unpack the judgment from it. So my assessment was that it ranked me. The consequences hurt. And the judgment is what... My, you know, my, it says my coach is disappointed by my performance and think I could have done better. Mm-hmm. Right? That was my, that was all the pieces of it. I inherently, I think it, as a result of my respect for my boss, was able to do these steps without knowing I was doing them. Hmm. Right? Because I think this, of your feedback. Bank. Correct. And I think the same thing happened with you. I don't think when this situation right. in the media center happened, we hadn't read these chapters yet. Um, but because of the other chapters, we knew that there were some things we could do based on the relationship. This just hit with the the identity piece of it. Mm-hmm. Um, what I love about this grouping of chapters, especially at the end, is that this whole time we're going through, I'm going, come on, what's the answer? What's the answer? What's the answer? And we get to the end, and these three steps are like not the answer, but a way to find my own answer. Yeah. Right? It's a path forward. Yes. And I loved at the very end... Um, it talked about this girl, Heather, and her, the breakup of a relationship. Mm-hmm. And um, her final response is, I learned that I could deal with a tough loss with grace and resilience. I learned that I could deal with harsh feedback, although it wasn't nay, it wasn't unprofessional. It just no. felt harsh. With grace. learning experiences that were based on grace and resilience, right? Mm-hmm. And then I love those last three, with a, a mm-hmm. apostrophe words, that's not nothing. Right. And I love how they chose those words. They could have said that's something, which would have been a positive, but they they went back to how we see ourselves mm-hmm. and they put it the double negative on purpose. Right. That's not nothing. Because mm-hmm. we see it as I've done nothing. I can't do nothing and nothing. But they that's not nothing. So I think the ending for this mm-hmm. is very powerful. Um and and it really made me go, oh, I got this. I love the use of the word grace mm. for multiple reasons. I feel like grace and kindness are sort of synonymous, except that grace implies 
a higher power, a spirituality. Uh, and what we're doing in this podcast is using spiritual reading practices from sacred texts and sacred practices and applying them to something that is secular. And here in the middle of this professional text that we are treating as our mm. profession is to help others and it is sacred and worthwhile and our learning is worthwhile. And here is this word grace and giving somebody grace and accepting grace is spiritual and how we practice to be better people, and no matter un- your beliefs. And grace is undeserved. Like, it's unearned. It's unearned. It's and, just given. Yeah, it's unearned and undeserved. And you're right. I think it's a nice way to um, conclude this section on identity um, because it reminds us that we are who we are, not because of what other people say about us, but about what we feel about ourselves. Mm-hmm. So as we're, as we're going through this, I was thinking, man, I feel like we've rambled this whole time. <laughs> and we've had that one big question, and I, I hope that we've answered it about how we see ourselves and how our identity impacts our feedback. But I'm not, I'm going to ask for grace. <laughs> because I believe that this chapter, these, these three chapters was not one that could be analyzed systematically because mm-hmm. it is highly personal. And as you're reading it, or if you've already read it, I think you're probably feeling the same thing, is that there's so much in there that you may not want to talk about. Um, there may be places that you just want to tuck that skeleton back in the closet for a little while. But in the end, you, I do believe that we do need to give ourselves grace. That every little thing that we do is not nothing, mm-hmm. right? It's something. And that we need to remind ourselves that um, our identity can trigger a response to feedback where we can miss some good stuff. Um, so there's some things that we can do to practice and improve that. And as you're working with candidates as national board, or as you're working with other teachers, or even as your students, remind yourself that their identity is just as fragile and just as robust as your identity. Yes, and thank you. And thank you all for hopefully giving us grace. Yes. And we will see you next time for the live webinar. And if you would like to give us your own interpretation and what you thought this chapter, please do give us feedback. There will be a form. It will be just like before at tinyurl.com slash feedback episode five. Thank you very much and have a great day.